Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to the Because We Love Finding Meaning After Loss podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Haycock. I am a certified and accredited life coach, grief coach, and certified grief educator. And I wanted to create a podcast and a platform for individuals to share their stories of not only the trauma and the loss, and it's not just the loss of loved ones through death when we think of grief, it's any kind of loss. And I wanted to create this space for individuals to share their stories, but not just the story of the trauma and the loss, but the story of how they found healing, the different modalities and tools that they use to not only live their life, but then turn around and help others do the same. I am inspired by all of my guests and I hope that you will be too. So whether you're the griever and you're trying to figure out how on earth you're going to navigate this life and navigate these losses, or you're somebody who is supporting a loved one who is grieving and you're wondering how on earth do I help them? What do I say? What do I not say? I'm going to be interviewing individuals who are going to give you some tools. I will speak to professionals who will be able to give us some insight as well. So vulnerability and authenticity is my jam. And I hope that you are going to find some or all of these episodes inspiring, useful, and authentic and real. So even though we're talking about some difficult topics, there will be some humor, there will be some laughter. I know that's hard to understand, but there is. So let's get vulnerable, people. Hi, everyone. Well, I've been asked actually a few times that the book where I wrote a chapter in this collaborative book, Transforming Pain into Purpose, Volume 2, uh, if it was on audiobook, and it's not, I mean, you can purchase the download on Amazon as well as the paperback. But then it ha- got me to be thinking, I have a podcast. Why don't I read my chapter? Duh. And there you have it a chapter and an audiobook. And so I actually, to be honest with you, haven't read my chapter since the freaking book came to my doorstep, which was ages ago. And I read it then. And then I obviously read the book and other inspiring women, but then I just put it away. Um, you know, it's not like I just read the chapter all the time. So I just tucked it away. And so I pulled the book out today and then I was like, well, let me just have a little read through before I hit record. And then I had to grab some Kleenex and I had my little cry. I was like, oh, <laughs> oh, actually, this is difficult. Um, and so I just, yeah, I thought, well, <laughs> let me just have my moment and then I will read this chapter. My desire for this podcast has always been to give a platform to other people, men and women who have gone through loss and grief and pain 
and healing and what modalities they use and how they're transforming and rebuilding and helping other people. And so it just allows us to feel less alone. And so I'm going to be reading this chapter. The first episode of this podcast was me telling my story. This is a little bit more in depth um, and 3000 more words in depth, but it gives you an idea of where I've been and some of the tools that I use to rebuild. And also if you are, if you don't want to hear any expletives, this probably isn't the episode for you. However, I don't know, you could skip to the next one, but that might have expletives in there too. So it's just real, it's just raw. It is what it is. I am who I am. I'm being my authentic self. Um, and in that, I do hope that some of you who are listening to this episode feel less alone, feel that do you know what? If I try some of these things, uh, there might be a bit of healing on. Now, we never get over our loss, but hopefully you can find some comfort in the fact that, you know what? We can create a life of passion and purpose around our pain. So let's go. Let me start out by saying I am one of the fortunate ones. I won the parent lottery. If this was a thing, I would have definitely won. I grew up in a wonderful home with loving parents. You know, back in the 70s and 80s where the door was unlocked and every adult, child, and stray came and went as they pleased, that was my home. It was a home full of love, laughter, and the occasional argument. My brother and I were fortunate to have such amazing parents. We felt safe. We were safe. However, it didn't stop there. My parents ensured all children felt safe, loved, supported, encouraged, and fed. I am not sure how they fed all of the neighborhood, but they did. As my best friend Krista said, it was like the water into wine scenario. Food just appeared. Although I'm certain their bank account reflected the amount of food that was consumed, they never complained. It was the price they were willing to pay to create such a loving environment. So why on earth am I writing a chapter in a book called Transforming Pain into Purpose? Well, that's a very good question. I'm glad you asked. Teenage years, need I say more? In high school, I became obsessed with my weight. When I looked in the mirror, all I saw was a fat girl. I was not overweight, not even close. However, that was all I saw. It was the start of my obsession. I was an athlete and a fairly good one at that. If I wasn't playing a sport, I was working out at the gym. It helped that this was also my place of employment. So I basically lived there. I trained hard. I was that teenage girl, the one that was obsessed about her weight, her looks, and feared I would not fit in. I ate one meal a day, in hindsight, I was an undiagnosed borderline anorexic. I remember my dad telling me if I didn't start eating, he was taking me to the hospital. I'm not sure what he meant by that or what that entailed, but it scared me shitless. 
So I ate more food around my dad so he could see that my weight loss was merely a healthy reflection of my workouts and sports training. My dad was not aware of my thoughts, behavior, insecurities, and the asshole boyfriends I had during these years. It was not until years later that I shared a bit of this information with him. Some of these boyfriends were extremely toxic, controlling, and verbally abusive. This abuse only fueled my insecurities and eating disorder. I'm not sure why I chose these morons, considering I did have a good role model and saw firsthand how a man should treat a woman. Somehow, somewhere down deep inside, I did not feel I was worthy. The epic of all epic losers became my very own stalker after I broke up with him. He finally left me alone when I was engaged several years later. In 1992, I married one of my brother's best friends at 22 years of age. I had our first daughter at 23, our second daughter at 24. My husband at the time was a full-time student for much of our early married life. In 2005, we sold our home and all of our belongings to move to the United Kingdom for him to pursue his PhD. It was a difficult transition, especially for our daughters who were 10 and 11 years old. I'm not sure how we survived. I was the breadwinner making a measly salary. I was stressed, exhausted, anxious, unhealthy, insomniac, and now I truly was overweight. To top it off, I was also in a loveless marriage as we grew apart, all the while being in a different country. My girls are my world, but I knew I was unfulfilled. I was not living my purpose and I was not happy. After a few difficult years, we grew to love the UK, we settled, and we've never left. This is home. My girls grew up, moved out, and emptiness syndrome hit me hard. I'm close to my daughters, but I was extremely lonely in my marriage. I always said, I need a hobby. The truth was, I didn't need a hobby. I was freaking lonely. I had amazing friends, don't get me wrong. However, when it came to my home life and my marriage, I felt alone. How can that be? How can you feel alone with another person that's in your home, sharing a bed? For me, the loneliest feeling in the world is when you're with someone yet you feel alone. I had a good example of what marriage is supposed to be like or should be. I didn't have that. My parents were not perfect, but they were soulmates in the truest sense of the word. They were in love and they liked each other. They spent time together. They enjoyed each other's company. They held hands and they danced in the kitchen. They flirted with each other even after 50 years of marriage. I desired this. It was not my reality. However, I kept going full speed ahead, trying to make it work. I was miserable and so was he. My energy level was shot to hell. I did not like who I had become. Who was I? What did I want? Why was I so miserable? I am an action-oriented individual, so why was I skirting around the action I needed to take? First, it was scary. I was afraid to leave. Where would I go? What would I do? I also thought if I worked a bit harder, did a bit more, complained a bit louder, lost the weight, meditated a bit longer, read more self-help books, did a little dance, 
burn more incense, pray to the gods of happiness, dance naked around a fire. It might just work. Something might change. Then in 2018, tragedy struck and kept striking. My niece passed away from a hereditary illness. She was in her thirties. One week after she passed, I received a call from my mom. My mom had to drop the C-bomb. I could barely process the words. My dad has brain cancer. They were going to operate on him to try to remove this monster. After the shock began to wear off and the words started penetrating my heart, my world shifted like the earth fell off its axis. Not my dad, my dad, a strong man, a teamster for God's sake, no way. We agreed I would come after the surgery as that is when she felt she needed more help. The day of the surgery, I was 4,000 miles away, pacing, shaking, trying to sleep, but failing miserably. I was waiting to hear how the surgery went. It seemed like forever. It was the middle of the night for me and I kept checking my phone, nothing. Then I received a message from my brother stating that my dad's tumor could not be removed. The surgeon had a tough time removing a small amount for the biopsy. Well, that is the worst fucking news. Fuck you, cancer. I knew I needed to be with my parents. I quit my job and flew to Seattle. My husband carried the load of working while I lived with my parents and took care of my dad until he passed away seven months later. All cancer is shit. Brain cancer is really shit. I am grateful my dad did not suffer too long and we were able to manage his pain. His confusion and his anger outbursts were hard, but we knew it was his illness, not him. We tried to keep him comfortable, laughing and spending time together. I was able to hug my dad, cry with my dad and tell him how much I loved him, how grateful I was to have him as my pops. I told him we would take care of mom. It was heartbreaking. And as I write this, tears streamed out my face. However, it was even worse for my mom. I watched my mom's heart break. The love of her life, her soulmate was dying of a hideous disease. My mom lost her dad at 21 years old. Her mom and her sister also passed a bit away before my mom was 45. My mom said, I've had many losses, but losing your dad is by far the worst of my entire life. My heart broke into tiny shards. I could not take the pain away. I knew eventually I'd have to go back home to the UK and leave my mom. She was surrounded by loved ones, but I know she relied on me and I was leaving. Talk about a dumpster fire. I flew back to the UK. Now what? How do I recover from this pain? That was a nightmare and it doesn't seem to be getting any better. I know I'm supposed to bury my parents. That's the circle of life. After all, this is the order in which death happened, right? However, this fucking hurts. So many times we minimize the pain of losing a parent. No matter what age you lose your parents, it hurts. Several months after my dad passed away, my mom flew to the UK and stayed with us for a few months. It was great having her. She had been here several times before, but it was always with my dad. She was always with my dad. That is the way it's always been 
and that is the way it should be now. We celebrated my dad's birthday, the first birthday without him. I arranged a spa day. The sun was shining. We drank coffee. We ate lunch. I test drove a car that I was wanting to purchase. It was a good day. My mom asked me how I was doing. And I said, mom, okay. I'd be better if people would stop dying. There had already been several losses since my dad passed. Little did I realize 30 minutes later, my good friends lost their amazing 20 year old son. He was killed in a car accident. Not Zachary. No, not Zach. Their only child, their shining light, their world. Absolutely hideous. I watched my friends bury their son. How cruel. And the time came to drop my mom off at Manchester airport. I was trying to be strong. She was crying and I was holding back tears. We hugged. I watched my mom walk away alone. It was heart wrenching. Little did I know that would be the last time I would hug her. My mom and I talked every day. Then she wasn't responding to my Facebook messages, which was unheard of. I called her nothing. I waited nothing. So I sound the alarm. I messaged everyone. Have you heard from mom? When was the last time you talked to my mom? I knew. I just knew. My soul knew. My mom's best friend found her. She was in her favorite chair. She died peacefully in her sleep. 14 months after my dad, I now must bury my mom. We had a cruise planned, just the two of us. Instead of the cruise, I was burying my mom. I spoke at her service and I said, when good things happen, I call my mom. When bad things happen, I call my mom. Now this really bad thing happened and the person I want to call is the really bad thing that it happened to. After sorting through some of the family possessions, it was time for me and my girls to go home. My youngest daughter, Alexa, was going home to her wonderful fiance, Jack, her rock. My oldest daughter, Brie, unfortunately, was facing a divorce. That is another story for another time. Two months later, in the middle of the night, I received the most horrific phone call. Just when you think it couldn't get any worse, it does. I was woken up by Alexa calling me, or so I thought. A woman on the other end of the phone says, Hi, is this Alexa's mom? Me. Yes. What's wrong? The woman, Alexa is okay, but Jack has had an accident and has died. I am with Alexa, but you need to make your way to Darby Royal Infirmary where we are taking Alexa. What the fuck? What? I'm sorry. Who is this? What are you saying? What did this goddamn woman just say to me? Wake up, Lisa. Just wake up. Wake up. Jack, Alexa's fiance, my only quote unquote son, had died in a falling accident in front of my daughter. He was 24. This is too much to bear. This is not real. Driving two hours to the hospital to get to my baby was a blur. I remember as we drove, I was rocking back and forth, tapping my head and telling myself to wake up. My daughter lost the love of her life, her soulmate, Jack's parents, his brother, his friends and family will never be the same. 
We will never be the same. I lost a huge part of my daughter in a split second and I could not fix it. I could not get her back. If I could fix this in a heartbeat, I would. The carefree, happy-go-lucky, sunshine daughter of mine was gone. A part of her has never returned. The ground opened and swallowed us all up. Jack passed away on November 30th, 2019, during the holiday season. While most people were celebrating Christmas with family, we were burying ours. The holiday season will never be the same. Three years later, it still hurts. I now understand how painful the holidays can be for people. I get it now. Alexa is rebuilding. She is resilient. She is new. She is different, but she is new. I see her returning. My oldest daughter, Bree, is doing the same thing. They've lost so many loved ones. Between 2018 and 2019, 12 loved ones passed away. It seemed just when I came up for air, another shot to the heart blew through my chest. I knew if I was going to survive this mentally, emotionally, and physically, I needed help. I knew I was not meant to do this alone. However, I knew I needed to do the hard work. No one was going to do it for me. I knew there was no way to ignore the pain. That was impossible. In my health coaching studies and other research, I knew trauma and grief sits in the body and can wreak havoc. I was going to do everything within my power to avoid some of the repercussions of trauma, if possible. As the popular saying goes, there are only two things you can, cannot avoid, death and taxes. These things are out of my control. But I also knew some things were in my control and I was taking it back. I was the daughter of Larry and Sally, after all. I'm an all or nothing kind of woman. I will either have all of the cake or none of the cake. It's how I roll. I'm either going to grab at everything or do nothing. Doing nothing was not an option. I'm an action-oriented person. It's time to take action. I will share with you a few of the things I did and continue to do in hopes that it may help you. Firstly, I hired a wonderful therapist. I knew I needed professional help. I surrounded myself with loving friends and rid myself of things and people that no longer served me. My energy was already at an all-time low. I did not need a negative Nelly bringing me down even further. I did not need or want drama in my life. I had to protect myself at all costs, no matter if I offended or hurt others. I did not go out of my way to hurt people. It was not my intention if I did. However, I had to come first. If I was going to be any good for anyone else, it was time for me to invest in me. And during this time, I knew I needed to be alone. I needed to focus on myself. I could not do this when I was in a loveless, passionless marriage. However, I waited a year after Jack's death as I did not want to cause more pain. I made the decision to leave my marriage. I knew it was the best for both of us. We married young and we grew apart. I mean, it happens. We amicably divorced and we remained friends. I believe we have shown others that this can happen that way. 
After a year and a half of therapy, it was time to take the next step in my journey. I knew I would never stop grieving and time does not heal all wounds. The grief will remain until I take my last breath. However, this is my reality and this is what's happened. So now what? I hired a life coach. She helped me navigate the present and the future. I had a vision. I could see what I wanted in my life, but I needed professional coach to help me. It was life-changing. So life-changing, in fact, that I decided to go to school and become a certified and accredited life coach. I'm also a certified grief educator. I do not share my story for sympathy, attention, or to be a victim. I share my story, my pain, my grief, and my healing in hopes it may help someone who makes someone feel less alone. As a life coach specializing in personal development and grief coaching, I now partner with my clients to help them rebuild, transform, and take action to create the life they desire and they deserve. As Elizabeth Kubler-Ross and David Kessler have said, and I quote, the reality is that you will grieve forever. You will never not get over the loss of a loved one. You'll learn to live with it. You will rebuild yourself around the loss you have suffered. You will be whole again, but you will never be the same, nor should you be the same, nor would you want to be.